You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. How many of you remember the quote that I started with last Sunday? Six, that's better than first service, actually. We're, we're improving. I began the service last Sunday with this quote, and I don't remember who said it. I just found where I'd written it down a few years ago. And the quote was, what if the church stopped being concerned about the culture they wish they had and they begin to address the needs and the brokenness of the culture in which they live. Anybody remember that one now? Okay, a couple more. We're not doing great, but what if the church stopped being concerned about the culture that they wish they had and they begin to address the needs and the brokenness of the culture in which they live? What if? You know what, you know what I, I, I learned and was reminded as I read the scripture that we're dealing with today? That Jesus has the power to forgive sins and wants to forgive sins. But Jesus also goes beyond forgiveness and desires to address the brokenness in your life. So not only does Jesus have the power and the desire to forgive your sins, But he wants to go beyond forgiveness. And he wants to address the brokenness that's in your life. So why don't you grab a Bible and go to Luke chapter 5 with me, okay? Luke 5. And I'm going to start reading in verse 17. You ever notice when you open your Bible, sometimes there's like titles, you know, of certain sections of Scripture. And I've got an NIV Bible in my hand. And here's what it says for the title. Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. And so not only does Jesus forgive the guy's sin, but he also addresses the pain and the suffering and the hurt and the brokenness in the guy's life. And Jesus does that in our lives. So let's put the passage on the screen and we'll read it together, okay? So one day Jesus was teaching and there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. And what Luke is doing is just letting you know that there's a little tension in the room. These guys weren't really there because they were interested in what Jesus had to say or they were amazed by Jesus' teaching. They were really there because they were like religious police and they were going to make sure Jesus didn't get out of line. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Judea and Jerusalem rather. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Hold it right there if you will, that screen. The power of the Lord was with Jesus till the sick. I can't read it without asking myself the question, so were there times when the power of the Lord was not with Jesus till the sick? And then I begin to remember this one occasion when Jesus goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. And while he was in Nazareth, the Bible says he did not perform many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And so I kind of wonder if that's what Luke has in mind when he says... But this time, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So next slide. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of this crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They can't imagine that happening, but... You're almost like, okay, we've got incoming. Here he comes. They're letting him down right now. Here he is. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. 
Does it seem odd to you that Jesus would say your sins are forgiven? So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law kick right into gear. They begin thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow whom speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he asked them, uh, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so immediately... This guy who has been paralyzed, he stands up in front of them. He took what he'd been lying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed, and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. And you know what they said among themselves? We have seen remarkable things here today. You know, I I have the privilege of working with some, some some great pastors here. Uh, just a moment ago, I was sitting on the front and I said, Mikkel, pray for me because I want God to speak through me today. And Mikkel, in that moment, just began to pray for me and ask God to speak through me. We have, we have a guy also that we work with here. His name is Mark Petritus. And, and Mark probably uses the word brokenness more than, than any pastor that I talk to. And usually in staff meeting, along about the time that we get ready to pray together, Mark will say to me, or to the whole staff, do you guys realize what God is doing in our church these days? And do you have any idea the kind of brokenness there is in the lives of the people who are sitting in the services? Do you have any idea how broken some of these people are? And how much they're suffering? And how much pain they live their lives in? As I began to try to understand the word and define it this past week, I probably was drawn more to synonyms. So what does it mean to be broken? Words like fracture or fragmented or torn. And so we use this as an adjective in our culture. And for years, I've heard people say to me things like, Pastor Rick, I know it's kind of sad my life has been, but I came from a broken home. And what they were trying to say to me was that somewhere in the past, our home was fragmented, our home was torn. Maybe it was divorced, but our home came in two. People talk about broken hearts. Pastor, we're praying for one of our kids. They can't seem to make a good decision. When we pray for them, when we think about them, man, our hearts are just broken. People talk about broken lives. Anybody, anybody looking at me this morning would answer a question in the affirmative, Pastor, there's, there's sin in my life. I mean, I've, I've got sin. I'm, I'm sinning. 
I'm doing sinful things. The sin in my life I haven't been forgiven for. Is there anybody looking at me who would answer this question in the affirmative? Hey, Pastor Rick, I've got brokenness in my life. I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I don't have unconfessed sin in my life, but I've got a lot of brokenness. We're fighting a disease in our house. Somebody we love has cancer. We're praying for one of our kids at our house. We've got relationships that are in trouble, a family system that is out of whack. We're living with brokenness. Somebody we love is fighting addiction. You understand, you can be following Jesus and not have sin in your life and be living in brokenness. And so when I read this story, I see Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, they begin to remove tiles from this house, which seems odd. And this man comes down and appears in front of Jesus. And Jesus addresses not only the man's sin, but he addresses the brokenness in his life. His pain and his struggle and his suffering and his hurts. We, um, we don't really get some things that are going on because we've never really been around Pharisees or teachers of the law, but they are there and they're creating this tension. We, we, we don't fully understand the whole Ruth thing either. For, for example, if, if Annette and I were, were at a store tomorrow and, and we ran into your family there and we started chatting and you said, where do you live? And we said, well, you should just, why don't you just come by? We'll run by the store and grab some ice cream and, uh, and we'll meet you at our house. And, and let's say you beat us to our house. And so when we're coming down the street um, and we're getting close to our house, you and your whole family are just up on our roof, just kind of sitting there waiting for us to come home. We would, we, we would feel really odd if you did that. We wouldn't be comfortable. And probably in a lot of kindness and love, I'd say to you, listen... Um, the, the roof thing, don't do that again, okay? It confuses the neighbors. They don't understand why you're up on our roof. Nobody gets on roofs in our neighborhood. But, but in Palestine, most likely, a lot of homes, there would have been a stairway going up the side of the house to the roof. And in Palestine, it wasn't uncommon to use the roof of your house as a patio. And so we don't say, what have you been doing? And the response is, I've just been hanging out up on the roof. But... In their culture, that was not uncommon. And, and if you begin to disassemble our roofs, it would be an insurance claim. But, but for them, it probably wasn't the case. It was probably taking clay tiles back and moving them out of the way. In fact, sometimes when there was a funeral in Palestine, they would let the coffin down through the roof. So it wasn't odd that you would dismantle some of the roof, you know, let a coffin down or let someone down, and, and it happened in that culture. I, I feel like that, um, that I have to pause. I can't just drive by this one. I've got to pull over for a minute and talk because you might remember two weeks ago, we talked from the parable of the father who had two sons. One was a prodigal. The father represents God. And, and the older son is where we focused. And, and we kind of walked away from here that morning trying to deal with this question if lost people matter so much to God, then why don't 
lost people matter more to us. If God is so concerned about lost people, then why aren't we more concerned about lost people? If God is working so diligently to draw lost people, why aren't we working harder to draw lost people to Him? For the last couple of weeks, we've been living with that. And then last Sunday, I talked to you from Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to become what? Witnesses. You are going to share with others what Jesus can do in somebody's life. And so I have to pause here because I see that this guy got to Jesus only because some people brought him to Jesus. And so I'm going to stand here. I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to ask you a question. So who in the world are you bringing to Jesus these days? And who did you bring to Jesus in this last year? Who did you bring to Jesus in the last five years? Who did you bring to Jesus in the last ten years? These guys had this kind of conviction that said, if we can get our friend to Jesus, then Jesus can change his life. His whole future will look different if we can just get him to Jesus. So is there anybody, anybody, anybody in your life that you're believing God for, that you had this conviction and the kind of tenacity that says, if I can just get them to Jesus, he can change their lives. Who do you pray for? Let me, let me take what time we have left and, and talk to you, talk to you about Jesus, okay? I, I came here a year and a half ago and I told you this little story about Annette and I trying to look into this house one time. It was for sale and we were not with a realtor and, and I remember Annette really wanted to see, you know, as we go looking into these windows and, and there's this window that's kind of higher off the ground. She goes, I wish I could see in that window. Well, I'm not going to pull my car through their yard so she can stand on my car and look in, you know. I, I, I cupped my hands like this, locked my fingers together and I said, put your heel in my hand and back up to me and I'll lift you up to look in the window. And so she did. And she was able to see in. Nobody lived there. We're not creepy. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> I guess I maybe should have made that point clear. You were just feeling weird until I said that, weren't you? And so I lifted her up. And so I think that's what preaching is. I told you that day. I think I think what, what happens is, is that I say to you on Sunday morning, come here, back up to me and put your heel in my hand. I'm going to lift you up to the window. And the window that you look through is the scripture. And I think that's my responsibility to you. And as you look through the window, my prayer is always that you catch a glimpse of God. Hold on to that for just one second, okay? There are times when I'm reading my Bible and I grin. I just read something and I kind of just grin like, I like that. You know what I grinned on this passage was when I read the words, Jesus knew what they were thinking. I kind of grinned and I said to myself, man, he's good, isn't he? You can't even have a thought without this guy knowing what you're thinking. And so he says to them, why, why are you thinking this? You want to know what God's like? The book of Hebrews says you should look at Jesus. He's the exact representation of his being. And so if Jesus knows what they're thinking, 
that gives you a good glimpse of God. 1 John 3 says God knows everything. The word theologians use is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Jesus knows their thoughts. Jesus knows my thoughts. Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows what I think about you. Jesus knows what you think about me. Jesus knows everything I think. The psalmist David said it this way, Before a thought is on my lips, you know it completely. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And so Jesus understands the thought process of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are sitting before them. And he understands what they think about suffering in relation to sin. And they believe that all suffering is directly related to personal sin. You know, in all these years of being a pastor, I've never once been on my way to a hospital to visit somebody who was in the hospital and thought to myself, okay, I'm going to see so-and-so. I wonder what terrible sin they've committed to land themselves in the hospital. Nor have I ever walked up to somebody on a Sunday morning who said, Pastor, I'm not going to shake your hand. I have an awful cold. I've never thought to myself, "Uh uh-huh, I wonder what you've been up to. Never thought that. So I was texting a friend of mine, Alex, who is a teenage guy who attends our church here this week, asking him how he was doing, and he said, I'm sick, been sick for a few days. He said, I don't think that God is punishing me at all, but God is using this as an opportunity to teach me some great things. And I text back, and I gave him one of my mother's quotes. And he texted back, and he said, I like it. When, when, when I get sick... I tend to want to call my mom to let her know I'm sick. I mean, like if I have a virus. I mean, what else would a 51-year-old guy do but call his mother when he gets sick? And so I do. I call her up and I say, Mama, I'm sick. I I don't feel good. And then I tell her that that I wish wish she was here because she would take better care of me than Annette does. (laughs) I remember one time I called my mom and I I was like, Mom, I feel really sick. I've got this virus and I can't get over it. And this is just awful. And I remember my mom saying to me, oh, I don't know that it's so bad. And I kind of snapped out of it. What? Mom, what are you saying? She said, you know, I was sick a few months ago. And she said, most of us, most of us when we land on our backs, We tend to look up. I don't know that it's such a bad thing today, Rick. The ancients were right in believing that sin and suffering are directly connected. If I go back with you to the Garden of Eden, you realize that in the Garden of Eden, it was an incredible place. God says, I want you to enjoy the garden. I want you to eat whatever you want. (laughs) I've made it. I put it here for you. There you go. Whatever you do, though, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But what happens? Eve eats from the knowledge of tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she gives some to Adam, and he eats from the tree. And God comes to the garden and says, Where are you? And they said, We're hiding. Why are you hiding? 
We don't have any clothes on. Well, who told you you didn't have any clothes on? You ate from the tree? And God pronounces, thou there, there is a curse. And he says to the woman, you will be in pain during childbirth and you will desire your husband. And to the man, he says, you will now work the ground by the sweat of your brow. And whatever you plant, thorns and thistles will grow up among them. And death will become a part of human existence with all of its preliminaries, including pain and suffering. And so, yes, I do believe that pain and suffering and sin are related to one another. But the ancients took it another step and said, all suffering is directly related to personal sin. You got a little cold? Oh, wonder what you've been up to. But Jesus knows everything. And Jesus, understanding their thinking, did not say to the man, get up and walk. He said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Because he knew in his heart that in their minds, healing was not a possibility until the issue of sin had been dealt with. And so he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Eric, would you be willing to come and do a little role play? I didn't ask you to do this before, but do you mind? You're not real excited about it, I can tell, but here you are. Okay, I'll tell you what, you, you, you be the guy who is crippled and I will be Jesus. Notice how I gave myself the role of Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so if you'll sit down right there. So Jesus asked the question like this. Here's what he says. So which is easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier for me to say, get up and walk? That's what he asked them. So work with that. Will you in your mind with me for a moment? So which is easier to say? So suppose that I'm Jesus. Maybe hard to do. Suppose he is the paralyzed man. And suppose you guys are in the crowd. Some of you are Pharisees and teachers of the law. So if I say to you, your sins are forgiven, are they forgiven? Well, how do you prove it? Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Do I have power to forgive sins? Some of you believe I do. Some of you believe I don't. But what if I say, get up, pick up your mat and walk home? You totally just missed the clue, Eric. You just blew the whole thing. I don't have a mat. Don't walk home. Just go back to your seat. The fact that the guy gets up says what? You see, if I tell him to walk and he doesn't walk, then I'm not who I say I am. But if he walks, then I'm who I say I am. Think with me for a moment, okay? If you ask me which is easier, I'm going to tell you, well, neither is easier because neither can I forgive someone of their sins nor can I make a paralyzed man walk. Only God can do that. This is a moment of identity. Jesus is making eye contact and he is looking at people saying, it is true. I am Him. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And I can not only deal with the sin in your life and bring forgiveness to you, but I can address the brokenness in your life. 
Are, are you listening to me this morning? You walk into the room and you say, Rick, at our house, we are dealing with sin or we are dealing with brokenness. I want to talk to you about a man who can address both. What is it in your life today? Do you understand the power that Jesus Christ has? Do you understand that I've watched him change hundreds of people's lives? You realize I'm declaring transformation here this morning? I've been in some meetings in, in Kansas City a couple of years ago and they were going to shuttle us back to our airport and I jumped in the shuttle with a guy whose name is Jim Kokenauer and Jim has this compassionate ministry center and I say to him, so Jim, tell me how you got involved in compassionate ministries and he says to me, well, you know, I was a, 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 good, a good Christian man. I was a good Nazarene guy. I went to church every Sunday morning. I went every Sunday night. I went every Wednesday night. We had choir practice on Thursday night, and I went to choir practice. And most Saturdays, Jim said, I was at the church working, doing something. And I was trying hard to be a good Christian man. And I believe that I was doing what I saw God asking me to do. He said, but one night I get a phone call from a young girl. She was probably only 18. She had gotten married to a guy who had a drinking problem. And she had been in my Sunday school class for years as a teenager. And she said, we got in a really bad fight. And I'm worried and I'm scared. And I wondered if you would go try to find him for me. And I think this is where you'd probably find him at this little bar. So Jim says, I got up and I got dressed out of bed and I went to look for him. I walked into this little bar and Jim said, that night my life was changed forever. He said, I saw humanity like I'd never seen humanity before. I saw suffering and I saw pain and I saw people trying to drown it with alcohol. I walked up to the bar and I met the bartender. Her name was Nellie. And I said to Nellie, um, I'm looking for this guy. And she said, he's not here, but I wish he was because he's not tending to his bar bill. He owes me $120. Jim thanked her for the information and he left. And he says, the next night, the only thing I wanted to do was to go back to that bar. And I walked back into the bar and I walked up to Nellie and I handed her six $20 bills. And I said, here, I'm taking care of his bar bill. My name's Jim. She says, I remember you. But he said, I didn't leave. I stayed. And the next night he said, I went back to the bar. It's all I wanted to do was to go hang out at that bar. And he said, over the next few years, I kind of became the bar chaplain. He said, even when I would go home from the bar late at night, they would call me and say, Jim, you need to come back. We've got a fight between a couple of our regulars. I don't want to send them to jail. Why don't you come and take care of it? And he said, I would go back. He said, I remember one time getting a phone call and they said, we've got this uh, runaway girl from Portland, Oregon, Jim. We think you ought to come back and help us deal with it. So he said, I would go back. Jim Kokenauer decided that he could no longer... Be concerned about the culture he wished he had. But he decided that he was going to begin to address the needs and the brokenness of the culture in which he lived. It's what Mark Petritus has done. 
Pastor Mark does it every day of his life. He gets up and that's what he does. He says, I'm not going to be concerned about the culture I wish I had. I'm going to address the needs and the brokenness of the culture in which I live. One day Jim said to Nellie, he said, you ever have a band? And she says, no, we've never had a band. He said, well, I know a good band, but they only play Christian music. She said, well, if it's a live band, I'm sure they would enjoy it. And so they agreed on like a Friday night. And so he says, I walk in on Thursday night and there's a sign and it says, Friday night, live band, Christian music, dancing aloud. (laughs) And he said that next night, that band played for about four hours and those people danced to some of the greatest songs of the church. (laughs) He said he was making good friendships and they were having conversations about maybe... Maybe doing something more. Maybe getting together to talk about the Bible. He said, I was racking my brain. Where could I do this? I I don't know that they want to come to my church. And I don't know that my church is ready for them. And finally, he said, one day, Nellie just cussed and said, just bring them here, Jim. The bar's closed on Sunday night anyway. And he said, so we started having Bible studies every Sunday night at the bar. I said, Jim, did Nellie ever consider that it was bad for business? And he said, I don't know if she ever considered it, but it was. Nellie became a Christian and her husband became a Christian and one of the girls that worked at the bar became a Christian. And in six months from when we started the Bible studies, we closed the bar down. And all of us moved together to a new location, what became the Way Center the Compassionate Ministry Center in the Church of the Nazarene, where we minister to people like those. So I ask you, what are those? I think it's broken people. Torn, fragmented. People who use the word as an adjective to describe their lives and their families and their situations and sometimes their hearts. I made a commitment to myself before I left my house this morning that I would give an invitation and that I would give it with conviction, expecting people to come. And so whether it's sin in your life or whether it's brokenness in your life or whether it's both, there is a man who identified himself one day as a person who has the power to heal either. He can address your sin and He can address your brokenness. And so I want you to stand with me this morning. If you say, Rick, Rick, I'm living in sin, man. There's sin in my life and I know it and I need to, I need to confess. I want to be forgiven. I want to come to Jesus. Then, then I'm asking you to come and pray. And if you say to me this morning, Rick, we are dealing with it at our house. We're... 
There's somebody we're praying for that we love. We've got relationships that are struggling. We've got somebody we love who's addicted to something. We're fighting cancer. We're fighting some disease. Our family system has come apart. Something's going on. We've got brokenness at our house. Or I've got brokenness in my life. Jesus can address your brokenness too. If you want to be prayed for for physical healing, there'll be pastors standing here waiting for you. So when you kneel here, just get their attention or go right to them and say, would you anoint me? Would you pray for my physical healing? And they'll lay a drop of oil on your head and they'll pray that the Son of Man will address brokenness in your life. So Kyle's going to lead us. We're going to sing and we're going to pray. And if you want to come forward, please come.
know if you want to come and pray with friends or if you still want to just come and pray, you're welcome to. Um, we're just going to stay worship a bit. Kyle will lead us in worship some. As you need to leave, you feel free to go as you need to. Feel free to linger and be in this presence of the Lord as long as you want to be. God bless you. been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.